So by Thursday, which was the night Danielle and I were nominated together, we were like, not going to happen. Right, right, right. Um, so, but we went. Mm-hmm. But we went. <laughs> Are you done? I mean, yes. Like, there's your pull <laughs> quote right there at the beginning. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lainey. I am the founder of LaineyGossip.com. I'm a talk show host and an entertainment reporter, and I'm currently doing this podcast with a dog on my lap. Hence the snorting, snoring, and all other dog sounds. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer and certified lazy person. And I've successfully engineered this podcast to be happening on a couch. I couldn't be happier. On today's episode, Brad Pitt is getting really good at winning. But should he let us see the work behind his wins? Or is he actually revealing the person he's been all along? We'll dig into it. And then our obsession, preoccupation, fanaticism, panic over Ivy Park, and whether or not the Queen's latest drop is as perfect as she has been throughout the last few years of her career. We've called her the patron saint of this podcast, but we'll debate whether she deserves to stay in that title. This is Show Your Work. So here's what I've been thinking uh-huh. after the SAG Awards and Parasite's amazing win yes. for Best Ensemble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listening to the announcer introduce the names of the cast. Yes. Um, I obviously am in love with Choi uh, Wushik. Of course you are. Who plays the son. Yes. Of the, of the like, lower class family. Not the little boy. Yeah. The, the yeah. essentially the yeah. protagonist of sorts. Yeah. And you love the movie, right? I loved it. I loved it. It's a perfect film. Yeah. We had big debates uh, about whether it is a black comedy versus, or is it a drama or what, yeah. like, what's your classification? But yeah, I loved it. So um, what I find really interesting though, then this is in line with, you know, I'm, I've been on a, like a six week binge of of Eastern, like, um, Eastern Asian culture. So binging all these Korean dramas and Chinese dramas on Netflix. And it used to be that essentially when my parents were growing up and even when I was growing up, you'd be given your family name. Uh, so a culturally, a culture, your, your cultural name, your real name, essentially, that is, um, in line with your culture. So like, go on. Yeah. So, for example, my name, the first name I was given, yeah, is Louis. My last name, right? Yuk Fun, right? And then you'd pick, or your parents would pick for you. But in my parents' day, they'd pick an English name, a Western name for themselves. Sure. There's- so my mother picked Judy, right? And my dad picked Bernard, right? And did you ever ask them why they chose those names? Um. Yes. I think that they just liked the names. Right. Uh, 
anyway, and they picked my name, by the way. So the uh, from by my generation, you were given a Chinese name and a Western name by your parents. Right. Or a lot of people in my generation. Uh-huh. Nowadays, many, many Asian, East Asian stars don't choose, at least professionally, to go by a Western name. So Choi Wushik, who I just talked about, yeah, yeah, yeah. the star of Parasite, he's not like Edmund Choi. Right, right, right. He is in America promoting Parasite, Oscar campaign, also has a career, was raised in Vancouver. Like he moved to Vancouver, I think, when he was maybe, I don't know, like under 10. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So born in Korea, um, then family moved to Vancouver, spent some time there, and then he was actually at, I think it was Simon Fraser University, mm-hmm. when he decided he maybe would go back to Korea and see if he could act. Interesting. And so, like, went by, or at least we know him professionally in, like, the biggest spotlight, Western spotlight of his career, we know him as Choi Wushik, not right. Brad Choi. Right. Anyway, and it's it's like that with a lot of East Asian superstars. Um, even… Uh, the upcoming Mulan. Yeah. So, obviously a big deal, right? Mulan is being played by Liu Yufei. hmm She does sometimes go by Crystal once in a while. Really? Crystal? Yeah, Crystal. Okay. Crystal Liu. But I believe for marketing for the film, uh-huh. she will be known as Liu, uh, Liu Yufei. I mean, I I love that. And I love it for… A number of reasons. I yeah, you're right. It's becoming much more common, right? I'm yeah. thinking of uh, Simu Liu, who is in Kim's Convenience, and yeah. of course is going to be in uh, the new Marvel release. Yeah, uh, it Shang Chi. Yeah, Shang Chi. Right. I also love it because I wonder if the custom fell out of favor because you know the names that you were referencing. Um, uh, Judy and Bernard are, I think they're not unusual for people of your parents' age, right? Yeah. But sometimes, uh, a- another name you referenced, you said that, uh, say his name again, uh, the the young guy from Parasite? Parasite? Choi Wushik. Choi Wushik, uh, you said his name wasn't like Edmund or something. Right. And the reason I thought that was funny is because Edmund is totally out of phase for a guy who's in his early 20s, right? right? And that's often something that happened. True? Yeah. Like when uh, North American names were chosen for… Other culture. What's that expression that we've heard? uh, Third culture kids? Yeah. um, That who are brought up not within their parents' culture. They're not always in line with the kind of trendy names of the day, right? He He would be Justin or like… I don't know, Brody or something, yeah. and that's not likely to be chosen. So I wonder if that's part of the reason that it's like, well, why are we trying to do this assimilation thing when it's not actually assimilating anything? Yeah. I And I have to call myself out, and maybe it's not calling myself out, but understanding that I am a product of two cultures. I was born and raised in the West I obviously have deep cultural roots in the East where it takes me some getting used to, to refer to people uh, like um, Zheng Ji is easy, like she's so famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
in referring to the newer generation of especially Chinese actors, because I'm so into these Chinese dramas lately, I'm confusing them because the names are so even foreign for me to say in English. Uh-huh. Like, um, I'll just make up one, but like Zhang Peifeng. Right. And then there's also uh, Zhang Fu Liu. And I'm, you know, confusing all of them myself because in my day-to-day life, because I speak English and I think in English, I think of people in terms of Jennifer and Ashley and John and Michael. Um, And so it has been a relearning for me or at least a tapping into a cultural connect for me to get used to that, Um, to, to resist the urge to be like, God, why can't they just be like John Zhang? Um, and it's, so I have started to try to train myself in identifying how to speak their names in a way that is a little bit more familiar and comfortable. And I think that's sort of, uh, I think that's a little bit universal. Um, I spoke to somebody on the weekend who, uh, is, uh, you know, born of, uh, she's, she's part Japanese yeah, and, uh, she introduces herself and her parents, her own parents, who uh, one of whom I think is Japanese, said, you say your name wrong. Like she, as a North American raised person, even with Japanese heritage and a Japanese name, yeah. say, yeah, you don't say that right. Like that's not how it's done. At the same time, then language evolves, blah, blah, blah. Maybe her way is the right way to say it for, uh, again, a third culture kid or yeah. a second culture or whatever. But I think that I appreciate you saying, oh, I'm calling myself out. But I think it's just, as you say, repetition and practice. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I think is great is that repetition and practice make things seem easy. Uh, A name that seemed real difficult four years ago is Chidi Adagonye. Yeah. Do you know who that is? Yeah. From Good Place. The Good Place. Yeah. Right. so Chidi Aragonye was a difficult name and it's supposed to be difficult in the context of the show. You're supposed to go, sorry, what? Yeah. And then that character basically became everybody's favorite neurotic teddy bear. Yeah. Like he's basically Larry David, but yes. 50 years younger. And then suddenly it's the easiest thing in the world. Right. Right? So I, I it think… It just slid off your tongue, for example. Like nothing. Like it's, Lupita Nyong'o. Like Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah. It's super fun even yeah. to say. Um, so I think that's part of it. Yeah. It's just kind of going, this is a challenge, like seeing how fast you can name all five Chris's. It's not something that is like, oh, it's so difficult that it's not worth the effort. Right? Yeah. Or like how many members of the old, I don't know. Mickey Mouse Club, can you name? It's it's not it, – yeah, I think the difficulty is in seeing it differently and yeah. seeing it as like, oh, yeah, can I figure this out as opposed to how difficult is this? But, yeah, I love that we're past the point where anybody needs to make it easier because somehow that's going to be in the way between your success or not. I should mention that we have a different setup today for our podcast. We have changed positions and where we're sitting. And as a result, we have become more accessible to dogs. So as we are podcasting, uh, one of them is climbing all over us, me. But then I, he just went over to check you out. So if you hear that on the audio, that is animals. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, that that we have no control over. But this setup does allow for a little more fidgeting from me, which is kind of my ammo. Yeah. But is not a good idea. So uh, that part is my own fault. So I'll have to see uh, how it holds up, you know? Speaking of show your work. But anyway, a last note on this award season and another, whatever happens, one of the bonuses is going to be, yeah, Bong Joon-ho is, as you said, you, the more you say it, the, like the quicker it just comes off your tongue. People are people keep saying over the last few weeks, especially as Parasite has built up momentum, Bong Joon-ho, Bong Joon-ho, uh, as, as, you know, the director of Parasite, the auteur, the one who is getting standing ovations, the one who is so highly respected, who has directed this amazing movie starring people whose names are not the names you usually hear at these kinds of shows. And perhaps we'll be hearing those names more and more and more and getting used to having the last name come first. For example, Bong is the director's last name. Jun Ho is his, is, are his given names. Um, and, and sort of becoming more familiar with that. It's, I will say, whatever happens on Oscar night, um, that will be a win to have the Parasite team at least give the Western audience something else to think about. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, and it wasn't uh, where I thought we were going to go. But I just have to say, um, I mean, he's part of the reason, Parasite's a great movie, as you say, but he's made many great movies, right? Yeah. And I would argue that part of the reason that it is getting so much attention is because everybody loves him, right? They love Bong. Yeah. And everybody calls him Bong. Yeah. And then, uh, and as you say, that's his last name. That's yeah. the construction of the name, right? But then I was watching like a Q&A with him last night and he's sort of like kind of like just hanging out and yeah. chuckling the whole time and whatever. And I went, oh, of course he's called by his last name. And then I started thinking him. I started thinking of him as like a character like Stifler, like all those people who we refer to as their last name, yeah. right? Or what's another one? What's that uh, Matthew McConaughey character? Uh, From Days and Confused? Yeah. Oh, uh, I can't remember. Maybe that's not the one, yeah. but like Van Wilder or yeah. Stifler or… Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Riggins. The, Riggins. What's the Fast Time at, at Ridgemont High one? Um, Spicoli. Spicoli, yeah. Yeah, like that thing. It's like, yeah. right? It's like bomb. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I just, I really think of him as being that guy. Yeah. And it's really kind of cemented it all together for me. Like the people who you call all the time by their last names are a particular kind of character. And I love that he's that guy for us. And, and the introduction to, yeah, a name that we're not otherwise familiar with. Anyway, go see Parasite. Yeah. So, coming out of the SAGs, um, the biggest story is not who won. Uh, or the biggest – or okay, the biggest story is about two people who won. But we're not talking about Brad and Jen per se. I do want to talk, and I think you want to talk, which is interesting to me because you actually never want to talk about Brad Pitt. Well, there's not usually a lot to say about Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, uh, kind of the meta statement of what we're going to talk about is Brad Pitt has been Brad Pitt for like 30 years. Yeah. Right? I'm doing a rewatch of My So-Called Life right now. Stay with me. Uh, first of all, fucking watch My So-Called Life if you haven't. The whole season is on iTunes for like a pittance and it's a fucking tragedy that it was only one season. But anyway, 
the teenage characters in that show who were teenagers when I was, like precisely the same age, are talking about Brad Pitt and fantasizing about Brad Pitt in the same way as we do now. Yeah. There hasn't been a new conversation for a real, real long time. Then there was like the dark days of Brad Pitt. Yeah. And we talked about that, right? Yeah. And then, and there hasn't really been anything new to say. No, but he's running a non-campaign campaign. He's not campaigning for Oscar while campaigning for Oscar. Well, let's talk about that for a second. First of all, I mean, I want to talk about all kinds of things, but uh, tell me what you need by, tell me what you mean by a non-campaign campaign. Well, he explicitly stated that he's not campaigning for Oscar, that he was Where? Not. In the press? Yes. He said this? Okay, yes. but is that not by virtue of saying that in the press? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he was like, no, I'm not going to campaign, and then proceeded to not campaign, campaign. Is there any actual thing that he's done or not done that would indicate, oh yeah, I'm not campaigning? Like, is there anything that you can point to that you're like, well, that's a not, that's not campaigning? I suppose he hasn't done a roundtable yet. <laughs> and, uh, well, I mean, I think we still have two issues of Variety to go or The Hollywood Reporter, and he hasn't appeared on the cover of those yet. Um, look, I wish I could show people your face of skepticism and exhaustion right now in listening to me, li listening to me list all the reasons why he hasn't campaigned in quotes, but yes, he's, he's been out there enough to be on the campaign. Well, I have good news for you. Uh, Kathleen, after a dramatic birthday on the weekend, sent a picture of me giving you cut eye about something you said on the weekend. And yeah. I think it's pretty much the same expression. So we can put that one up, uh, as a reference for yeah. skepticism, but fair enough. He's campaigning. He's campaigning. He's going to win. I think at this point, it's a lock. Like, I mean, it's the surest thing ever. For best supporting for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's right. And, and yeah. So he's in, even though he hasn't campaigned. <laughs> and he won the SAG Award, the Screen Actors Guild Award. And let me ask you one question before we get into sort of everything that has come out of that. Uh, do you think think the SAGs have like rocketed up in profile? And if you do, because I do, what do you think, like, what do we attribute that to? First of all, they didn't used to be broadcast. Yeah. And not until what, like maybe, maybe seven five or eight years, years ago? ago? Yeah. Even like, that? It used to be that the red carpet was broadcast on, I think, TNT or something tiny and then whatever other outlets pick it up. But the actual show didn't used to be broadcast at all. Yeah. At least, like, not I'm in the early 2000s, for sure not. Like, when you and I started working together. Nope. It was not a thing. And um, to that yeah. end, I don't think it was counted as much in the, like, the way the award show races now. And the reason you say, oh, it's a lock is, like, it's like uh, your grades being added up in high school, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything is worth so much as a percentage. Yeah. And then it sort of comes out to this much, but then your final exam is the final exam. Yeah. The Oscars are the final exam. Yes. But the Screen Actors Guild choices, like the nominees and the winners, yeah. are like a much bigger factor in people who calculate this stuff than it used to be. True or false? It's true. And it it's always been true that the Screen Actors Guild Awards 
are a better, not the best, but the a better predictor than the Globes, the Golden Globes. It's just that the Golden Globes are much more well-known. I attribute a lot of it to like naming, to go back to your forte. Go on. Um, so if you think about what awards are called, it's easy. Emmys. Yeah. Oscars. Yeah. Tonys. Yeah. Golden Globes is a fun, glamorous name. Yeah. Grammys, yep. right? It's a, it's an ease. Or like Oscars is Oscars, but we all know, right? Yep. It has a gravitas. SAG Awards is, it's not the same in terms of the name category. Right. And therefore in name recognition. And now that you mention it, it wasn't so many years ago that there were two different actors unions and they only recently melded. Uh, it's it's actually called SAG-AFTRA, which yeah. is even worse. Yeah. Um, but yes, SAG Awards is literally the anathema of everything that <laughs> yeah. Hollywood wants to be. So, but you're right. It has, its stock has been rising over the last few years and probably this week was its pinnacle given the moment that came out of it, the gossip moment with Brad and, and Jennifer Aniston. And yes, so SAG is definitely, SAG-AFTRA is definitely happy. Yeah, anything, anybody who didn't know about it now knows about oh, yeah. these awards because of that picture heard around the world. Right. I'm just, to be clear, we're not going to deal with that picture or that moment no. per se, but I do want to say that it is so primed to become a meme. Like, you know how that meme of the guy turning around to look at the girl behind yeah. him is like yeah. kind of the meme of, I don't know, 2019, certainly. Yeah. Like, this picture is so ready, and I'm just, I'm looking forward to what people make of that meme. But and you're referring to the one where her back is essentially to him, Jennifer Aniston. Oh, yeah, yeah, Like, and they've already talked. Yes. And her hand is physically pushing him away as yeah. he holds her. Yes. Like, she, okay, honey, that's enough now. Yeah, that's nice. I gotta go. I gotta go. Bye. Okay, bye. Um, bye. Yes, that is, and that's the photo. And you're right. I mean, it. Also, it's it just tells 18 different stories and everybody can hang their hat on a narrative that they want to run with. So it's it's amazing. Whoever took that picture is going to I, – I, congratulations. I mean, go buy a house. I, I certainly <laughs> hope so. I hope that somebody is writing their career story on yeah. the day they got that photo. Um, but yes, the SAGs are definitely higher in profile today thanks to the power of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. But at the same time, even before that moment happened, he kind of made the show and he's been making the award shows this season, which I have to say I wouldn't have been able to predict that he would be the one giving reliably the most entertaining, witty, charming speeches. Uh, but here we are. He, he did it at the Globes. He did it at Critics' Choice. His best speech so far was at the SAGs. I have a one little problem with you know, part of it, but I've, you know, I've already addressed that on the site. Which was? Which was his joke about how, um, you know, this was a stretch for me. I played a guy who was high all the time, took his shirt off and didn't get on with his wife. Right. I didn't really love the wife part. Um, you know, not because, I mean, I love Angelina Jolie, but the breakup was pretty ugly and it involved children and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's so a little bit gross, and it's a pattern. Like this is what he said about his other ex-wife, who is he's now friends with, but he also out in the press called her dull. Uh <laughs> I mean, look, yes, but 
I think too, I mean, the, the plot of the movie comes into play, but regardless of that, yeah. He, am I like forgiving him here a little bit because he says didn't get along with his wife implies that the problem is his as opposed to had a harpy wife that he had to get rid of. Which um, was the movie. I know, but that's but didn't get along with his wife is it reads as self-deprecating, first mm-hmm. of all. Second of all, and I think this is where you're going, I didn't even think of that wife. You I, you thought of the ex-wife in the room? Immediately. <laughs> immediately. Uh-huh. I like, because I think, and this is sort of what we're talking about. I'm not trying to step on your whole premise, but part of what's going on, part of the reason everybody lost their shit over that picture is that the narrative of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston has always been the fuck. Like, why would you walk away from that, dude? There is a generation for whom, a generation of of everybody, but yeah. a lot of, I think, straight men who came of age via Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all things considered, who were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, for whom, I'm going to really get lofty here, but that's the moment that Brad Pitt became to Hollywood is when you go, no, no, I can do better than Jennifer Aniston. That's the moment when I think he lost a lot of people in his like realism. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like he was a real aw shucks regular guy. Yeah. And everybody was like, you're just the most regular, like falling upward, amazing dude. And then when he was like, no, I got to go. It's like, really? Yeah. So I feel like this is, Part of the whole thing is he's poking fun at that guy. I mean, that's one read of it. I didn't read it that way. But again, listen, it's what's it going to do? Nothing. I don't think that that was, to me, I don't think that is the major takeaway, whatever the gossip is. To me, the major takeaway is here's somebody who is one of the most private people in the business vis-a-vis privacy versus status. And Can I mean, you, Christian Bale is private. Yeah, but Christian Bale backs it up. But yeah, go on. Christian Bale is private, uh-huh. but he's also not at the superstardom level, mega wattage level of Brad Pitt. There no. are like three or four people at that level. Yeah. Although, don't you believe that some of that mega wattage, which is a term I love, don't you think some of that is like conferred from the perfect storm of 20 years ago? A different way of putting it is like Winona Ryder, even today, is has that mega wattage in a way that say, oh, I don't know, Charlie's Theron doesn't because Winona Ryder came of age in that Johnny Deppy, uh, yeah. the beginning of the celebrity press sort of thing. All of them, for sure. I think that... Brad Pitt certainly carries that. Yeah. And then his personal life has enhanced it, contributed to the megawattage for sure. Yeah. But when I say privacy, I mean, this is not somebody who, um, he, he, this is somebody who can disappear when he wants to. This is somebody who for a long time has avoided giving a tell-all interview, who generally keeps a lot of things locked in, locked down. 
I mean, I want to agree with you. I really do because I think that's the- Or at least pretends to. Pretends to. To want to. Or allows us to believe that. Yeah. Um, because I really want to to believe that narrative. And it, it helps me like him because I like him, even though I am annoyed that I like him sometimes. Yeah. But I'm remembering the tell-all uh, post-breakup with the wife that I forgot about until recently- Remember there was an article about how, was it Vanity Fair? It was his like- It was GQ and it was when he revealed that he quit drinking. And he's like, yeah. I, I lie on the floor of my rental house and I feel the wood boards under my body and he I don't have any furniture. He didn't say that, but the takeaway was that, yes. There was definitely something about wood on the floor and <laughs> yeah. no furniture, something yes. like that. And it wasn't sculpting. that long ago. yes. It wasn't that long ago is my point. Yeah. So is it possible that he does- these things more than we think, but just makes us think that he doesn't? Well, I think there's a way of saying it where I stand by what I said, which is he pretends to not want to leverage his personal life. Oh, I believe that 100%. And then there is the flip side where he can pretend to not want to leverage his personal life and yet still ends up leveraging his personal life in little strategic drips and drabs timed perfectly to create and accelerate a momentum towards a goal. The goal of the last six months being the Oscars. A hundred percent, which brings us to every single week, he has something to say, right? Some update to give. He has something witty to say, something up. Like it started really, I mean, not started, but if we're going to talk about 2020, we kicked off 2020 with the Golden Globes. He wins at the Golden Globes. And he makes a joke about he was going to bring his mom as his date, and yet he couldn't because anytime he stands next to somebody, he's dating her. And the room loves it. Eats and, it up. And, uh, but… Uh, My dog is sneezing. Right. But that was predecessed, which is not a word, by… Um, <laughs> Preceded. Yes. Thank you. Uh because that happened right around Christmas or just before. Remember he was seen out with Alia Shawkat a few yeah. times? And everybody was like, they're dating, they're dating, they're dating. Yeah. Like it was it was using what had just happened, right? Like yes. that's always happened. Anybody Brad Pitt's seen with yeah. uh, becomes his girlfriend. Yeah. But it had just – it was so fresh in our minds. Mm-hmm. It was, to your point, good writing. It was good writing. Yeah. And – he like he won at the Critics' Choice Awards. There was also a charming moment, um, but you know, again, the sharpest speech mm-hmm. so far. And uh, it is you know we talk about peaking at the right time. So, <laughs> which was the speech? Was it Critics' Choice where he said that Bradley Cooper like helped him into rehab and that kind of thing? That was um, no, that was the National Board of Review (NBR). Right. Yeah. Because that was a real reveal, right? Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, he's the one who helped me. Yeah. I mean, every, listen, every time he's gotten up on stage, it has been a really good moment, entertaining, moving, um, sweet. Disarming. Disarming, respectful for the most part. Um and we can agree to disagree on on the little bit about getting on with your wife. And then again, it is moving along at a rate that is momentum building. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like absolutely. he's not blowing his good shit early. 
He is chugging along. SAGs are going to be, the next thing is going to be BAFTA. He's going to win at the BAFTAs. And then, of course, the best speech, we think, is going to be at the Oscars. Or by that night, it won't matter anymore, really. I mean, people are voting now. Or voter, I don't think voting's opened yet. But but yeah, this SAG speech didn't just have the, the crack about, you know, his character and it was a stretch. There was an excellent joke about Quentin Tarantino. Yes, absolutely. About uh, foot fetishes. Yep. An excellent joke. Um, so my question to you is, do you think he's capable of writing this or coming up with these himself? Or has he hired someone? Of course not because he's not campaigning. But in an alternate universe, would Brad Pitt have hired someone to be writing these pithy Little quips. I mean, yes, and like, uh, would he have hired somebody? Maybe, sure. Uh, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all. Like, everybody knows that award show banter is written, right? Yeah. Like the bits uh, in the show. When you're presenting, for example. Yeah, even the ones that look like they're mistakes or whatever are not only written, but like other bits have been pitched and thrown out and yeah. that kind of thing. Like, there's a team of writers and they work fucking hard for a long time. I think it's largely thankless. Um, I think the question is, like, has he been – Look, there's no question that he's been working on these jokes and these bits, right? Yeah. Because they land. They're not off the cuff. True? No. Right? They land. And the reason why I thought about it, especially as I was watching the SAGs, is because we know, and I know you know, that jokes are written with such precise language and beats Mm -hmm. that… Each word is carefully chosen and placed. Yes. And that Tarantino joke, um, I mean, I'm not going to quote it verbatim right now, but it was along the lines of, Quentin has separated more women from their shoes than the TSA. That's right. Had such great rhythm. Yep. That we are writers. Yeah. And you, when you appreciate that kind of rhythm, it means it's been sounded out. Absolutely. Like, it's been worked, no question. Yeah. Right? And it has to sound natural and easy and whatever. So I guess there's two options here, right? Yeah. Number one, he has been working with a writer, has been workshopping these jokes, Mm -hmm. has been selecting – the way we talk about, um, you know, actresses selecting which dress to wear for the award season run and knowing that that's a part of the work, right? Yes. He's selecting different jokes for different speeches, filling them in at different times. That's option A. And I have zero problem with it. Like nope. if that's your work, that's part of your work and accepting well is part of your work. And we've said a million times, like, have something to say, have a speech to give. Yes. Right? Yeah. So why the fuck not? And, yeah, true. Right. And or something has happened in Brad Pitt's life, whether it's getting sober or uh, this role of a lifetime or whatever, that has allowed him to become the funny guy who can just pull off these jokes. And I feel like I'm not naive enough to be like, oh, it's the second one. But the other part of what you're saying about jokes, about their precision and timing and whatever is you can write the best joke in the world 
But if it's not delivered right, it doesn't matter, right? Yep. And they roll off the tongue. You agree? He rolled them off his tongue. It was very, it was, I mean, he's always been underrated for how casual his acting is. Yeah. And it's the perfect setting for him to be on a stage to be able to roll um, a workshop joke off his tongue like it was a thing that just occurred to him. For sure. Yeah. I mean, look, we have said, I think you've said on this podcast before that like Brad Pitt is a character actor trapped in a pretty body. Definitely. Um, he's, he's a character actor. He can do that with material. Yeah. And I believe that the reason people keep hiring him, especially for the stuff where we've talked about this, where he looks like he's having a ball. Yeah. Um, is cause he's good. It's not cause he's pretty. No, no. So I can see a world in which maybe he, maybe he is this guy and all the, like, I mean, not that he accepted so many awards back in the day, did he? Like, the only thing I can really think of is Meet Joe Black, and he may have not actually won anything for that, but just look, you know, I have that image of him in a tux in my head. I think he won a couple of things for 12 Monkeys, and the only reason that stands out in my mind is because he won something at the Golden Globes where he thanked Gwyneth Paltrow, and he called her my angel. Right, 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 right. Um, And so I only associate that with Gwyneth. (laughs) There we go. So... But no, he doesn't win a whole lot. He has been nominated a ton. And he's always around, right? Yeah. Seven, Benjamin Button, like. Yeah, all of those. Babel, Babel, whatever you call that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but like maybe this is, I, I'm sitting here with no agenda for either of my theories. Um, maybe he's just looser and easier. Maybe, again, I'm not trying to assign too much to his new clean life or whatever, but maybe if you don't feel like you're hiding something in these scenarios, you're a lot looser and you can roll them off the tongue. And or maybe he's sitting around at home like scratching out lines or working with a buddy or something to to make the giant punchlines happen. Listen, here's, as I agree with you, I don't disagree with being prepared should you be called, especially when you are the favorite. I mean, at this point, he hasn't lost. Nobody is challenging him in the category. It's going to be Tom Hanks, Joe Pesci, um, Al Pacino, uh, and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins hasn't shown up. (laughs) Joe Pesci hasn't shown up. Tom Hanks has won twice and he's not going to win for this role. Like it is, it is locked down. It is for sure. If you want to bet on anything, bet on Brad Pitt. So when you are the expected winner, come prepared, have something entertaining to say. Don't just um and ah and thank your agent and your lawyer and this and that. We have said that. So 100% agree. On the other side, we talked about the non-campaign campaign. You made a declaration that you're not campaigning. So my whole thing is, given that we're here to talk about work, there is work in winning. And he's showing us that there is work in winning. There is preparation in winning, to win graciously, to win gracefully, to win well, to win the way he's been winning, where it looks fucking great, it's entertaining, and suddenly Duanna, who doesn't care about Brad Pitt, is wanting to talk about him. It takes some some mechanics 
Show me that. I'd rather hear about that than pretend. Like, when are we going to get to the point where we're not ashamed of working? And I guess that's what I want to get to in our podcast when we celebrate work. And suddenly you have people who are working well and doing the work, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to do it. They don't want to admit to it. It's almost like they're embarrassed by the fact that they have to do it. Well, you know what's so funny? Wow. I just went on a real rant there and I'm sorry. Well, you did. And if I took it out of context, if I didn't know we were talking about acceptance speeches for an award, I think that you were talking about uh, cosmetic surgery. Ha. Huh. Great point. I love I love the comparison because, yes, can we talk about that? We're beginning to, right? Yeah. As it has become more accessible, everybody's like, oh, you know what? This is kind of great. I didn't think I would do this, but I love this thing or I do this little thing. It doesn't mean I'm not feminist. It doesn't mean this or I'd love to try this thing. It's like a – it's a buffet. You yeah. can try things. Um, and so to that end – You're right. Like there used to be a stigma about talking about it and now there isn't. Maybe this is the next frontier, right? That there used to be some sort of indication that you had to be uh, utterly either unprepared or modest or whatever about your win, right? Yeah. And so preparing seemed, I think that's the root of it. When people used to bring out a a shaky piece of paper, and again, I'm not talking about the people who win like best foreign documentary because they're just amazed to be there and yeah. the like the Kodak theater they is still massive. have to sit at the fucking back so and yeah, yeah yeah I'm not but when somebody who as you say is more or less a lock comes out and is like oh I I I just I don't know yeah. my agent you're like come on yes so ironically yeah being able to kind of let go of some of the modesty of it being able to be like yeah I'm Brad Pitt I'm 51 yeah, people love me. And he's you know, older than 51. How old is he now? Like 55. Well, look, you have been on my ass for a month <laughs> about how I love men who are older. So, and now you're like telling me that, oh, he's older and that's okay. I just, we're having a little private sidebar on our public podcast because you've been on my ass ass about old men and uh <laughs> welcome to it welcome to my world there's something really sexy about a man who is stand by please while i scroll to wikipedia 56 fi- he's 55 he's 56 he just turned oh in december okay all right 56 there i was close yeah anyway letting go of the false modesty, letting go of the thank you for having me, knowing on some level, like he's a real, Brad Pitt is, and I want to say this in the most positive way, he's like an essential cog in the Hollywood wheel at this point, right? There's an entire industry built around Brad Pitt, caring about Brad Pitt, talking about Brad Pitt, yes. But not just his face. I mean, one of the things I read last night that I really like is that people talk about how his uh, production company has systematically been boosting films that would not otherwise be seen, tell stories about it, and that he's not all the time out there peacocking about how great he is. No, he's not. Right? I mean, uh, 12 Years a Slave, Moonlight. He won an Oscar for Moonlight, like, as a producer. Yeah, Selma is his. Yes. Um, uh, You said Beale Street. 
I don't know Beale Street. That's A24. So anyway, but yes, lots of films. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Big he's, short. Uh, yeah, and he's a player in front of the camera and behind the camera. He's an essential part of Hollywood. Everybody would fucking love to give him an Oscar. And yeah, there's sort of letting go of a false modesty of, oh, thank you for having me, is going, all right, well, then I better have something to say. Yeah. Yeah. And if, yeah, yeah if you employ a writer to get that done, why the hell not? By all means. I do really love your comparison to beauty, though. I mean, because it's, a, oh God, it's brilliant given, you know, given who we're talking about, one of the most beautiful people, uh, you know, on screen in the last 50 years, Brad Pitt. I mean, he's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but you're right when we talk about what has always been prized is effortless beauty, right? That's right. That's the expression. Effortless. She's an effortless beauty. Whereas, she, whereas you know, you're you're punished for trying to be beautiful. That's right. She yeah. glows from within. Oh, she has those natural lips. Yeah. She this and that. And yeah, if you do something else to get whatever look, yeah. it's a bit secret and shameful. Yeah. And we're trying to dismantle that slowly. It's getting there. And I would like to dismantle this notion of the work in winning and wanting to win or even, even get being ready to win. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Especially when you are in this business, in the business of show, right? Well, but that, I know you're being cutesy a bit, but yes, absolutely. Ultimately, the win in this business every time is entertaining people. Yes. Right? And it is criminal to not be entertaining. And one of the reasons that we, me included, complain about award show season and especially about a run like this where somebody is guaranteed to win every time is that it's boring as fuck. Yeah. He's been around long enough to know if I win five or six times in a six-week period, mm -hmm. I better have something new to say and do so people aren't rolling their eyes and voting for somebody else just to see a new face. Yep. Right? There it is. That's super smart strategy. That's really weird, weird. I said, there it is. There it is. Yeah. And you know, I, I'll add something personal here. In Canada, we have, you know, our equivalent of the Emmys and the Oscars are combined. Uh-huh. And it's called the Canadian Screen Awards. We That's call right. it the CSAs. Yes. I won a CSA last year with Danielle Graham for our Oscar live show, uh, Digital. Uh, I'm just going to, uh, for the eTalk uh, live show at the Oscars, which is you and Danielle at the Oscars doing uh, live commentary. That's right. And uh, we won in like the digital category because our show was only broadcast online. Right. That last year, our company, like our network, we were nominated for a whole bunch of things, right? Our, all So many of our shows were nominated. And um, we, you know, after three nights of awards, because we, the Canadian Screen Awards happen over a series of like few days. It's the same as the creative arts Emmys being held a week before yeah. or whatever, that idea. Anyway, so we are the non-broadcast categories. You know, the, the the big show is on the Sunday, as award shows usually are, and we are on the non-broadcast categories. So those happen like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or I don't know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. The Tuesday happened, we like we didn't get anything. The Wednesday happened and our team, not our company, our team didn't get anything. Wednesday happened, we didn't win anything. So by Thursday, which was the night Danielle and I were nominated together, we were like, not going to happen. Right, right, right. 
Um, so, but we went. Mm-hmm. But we went. <laughs> Are you done? So by Thursday, we we didn't really have any expectations. Yeah. But we still went, and we didn't prepare anything. Right. Okay. And our names were called, uh-huh. and we I was that hypocrite dick who Danielle and I get up there and we thank the people we need to thank, but it was like the most boring speech ever. And right. then we were like, bye. Now, going into this year, mm-hmm. given that we won last year, yeah. I'm not going to play false modesty. I hope to be nominated. I expect to be nominated. We are the, what is that, incumbent? Uh, yes. Yeah, it is. Right? We're seeking re-election. Uh-huh. So, um... I think that the awards are like six weeks away Mm -hmm. and having this conversation and thinking about this today and like before we came to the studio, what am I talking about the studio? My house to start recording. um, I'm sorry. I I like the studio. I think that's fine. I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about with Duanna whether or not I should have some things jotted down. I should start workshopping something. Probably it will set me up for disappointment should we not win. Yeah, maybe. But I feel like if if we win and it's our second time getting up there, I don't want to be like like last year because that's not going to fly anymore. Right. And – I have a blanket statement and here's what I have to say. You're going to, yeah, you're going to go to the Canadian Screen Awards and blah, 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 and that's fine. And whether it's broadcast or not, it's a dinner and an event, right? And you're going to go up and have 30 seconds to speak. We hope. Or maybe not. But if not, there will be another time. Yes. And there are millions of other award shows that aren't broadcast on television, but every industry has these, right? I'm sure the Hotelier Awards of the Year or whatever. Yes. If they don't want you to speak, they will mail you an award in the mail. You've seen it happen. People get like little plaques that sit on their desks or wall units or whatever, right? If you are in a situation where you go up to accept an award... It's because you're at a show of some kind, right? Yep. You have been tapped to be part of the show. So yes, anybody who's nominated for anything is preparing for the one in five chance that they're going to be part of that show. They expect that you have something to say, and that's why they put you in front of a microphone. Why would you squander it? I don't mean you personally. I'm talking to everybody here, but like... If you go up there and there's a microphone there, you're supposed to say a thing. And they already know who you're going to thank. And yeah, some people get off on hearing their name on a microphone. That's fine. You can thank me for giving you this pearl of wisdom if yeah. you want. But uh, but the point is, yeah, they're giving you a microphone to say something. So you should do it, right? I will start workshopping my jokes. And you can say that you were inspired by Brad Pitt. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. 
So, even though the SAGs happened and, you know, Brad Pitt preoccupied us for a few hours on Sunday, our real preoccupation for the last few days, and it's been a day that was marked on our calendar from weeks ago, uh-huh. uh, was Ivy Park. Now, is that the word you're going to use? Preoccupation? Obsession. <laughs> um, full-blown panic. Look, I've known you for a long time now. I'm not sure what our our date count is at. I think we're rounding the corner on like 15, 15 16 years. Yeah. And, you know, you want people in your life to keep surprising you and everything, but I never thought that you would be susceptible to a cult. Um, is that what we're calling this? It's not what we're <laughs> calling Ivy Park. It's not what we're calling... Beyonce fandom or anything of the kind. Excuse me, you weren't exactly like tame either. Well, no, we're going to get into all that. But what I, but I want to just preface this discussion. No, I'm not susceptible to that kind of thing. Excuse me. Excuse me. (laughs) I have digital proof if we need it. Uh, Here's what happened. Uh, When we were sitting there trying to order our merch, our Ivy Park product, etc., at one point, you said, hey, it didn't work. It wouldn't take my card or, and then it wouldn't take my other card. And I was like, oh no, that sucks. And you said, I failed her. <laughs> you hate things that are inefficient more than anyone I know. You hate stupid websites. You hate stupid lineups. You I hate do. stupid people. I, I am one of those. You're remarkably chill about inefficiency, and it is, I can't, I can't handle inefficiency. Right. But yeah. often, like, fussing about it is not going to fix it in the moment. No. But you chose not to Because malign. I'm efficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Except that you... That's what I'm saying. You, I blamed you betrayed myself. your own self. <laughs> you, rather than criticize the website or the credit card company or, you know, uh, anything else, you blamed yourself. Yes. And I, I know we're being hyperbolic here, but I felt very <laughs> clear in the moment that that was real. You were disappointed in yourself for not being able to complete that purchase. Yes. Anyway. Fast forward a few hours, we made some purchases. Mm -hmm. You then went to the store the next day. I did. After we were out late. And I went to like a small secret store, not the big Adidas store. How early did you get up? Well, I got up at eight anyway, which is... On a Saturday after we got home at like one. Um, Anyway, yeah. So I got up at eight and I knew somebody who was going... I thought was going to the Adidas store. So I just wanted, and I had heard that she was going at six in the morning. So I decided to text her and be like, hey, what's the line like? And she was like, nobody's here, but I'm not at the Adidas store. I'm at this other side store that is carrying a portion of the collection. Right. And I was like, what the fuck? Where? And she's like, there's nobody here. Then this is why I love friends and technology. She sent me a video of how empty it was. Yes. And so that is when I texted Sash. Yes. And I was like, are you up? Because this, that, and the other. And she's like, let's just go. Of course she was so up. So <laughs> we rolled out. Um, we we I picked her up, I would say 8.30. <sighs> and we were there by 10 to 9. And the store opened at 9.30. We were, we paid at like, 
quarter to 10, back in the car at 10 and home at 10.15. It was so painless. Yeah, I hadn't even gotten up yet. And I'm not sorry. No, I wasn't. Listen, I thought about texting you, but then I was like, uh, she was out late last night. Plus, you know, you have other responsibilities in the morning. So, well, let's, it's not a secret in the, in the <laughs> interest of being open about things, you're referring to like a child. Yes. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to rip a child's mother from him for Ivy Park. I mean, but I've thought about it. Yeah, for sure. But also, <laughs> I had I'd done well the day before. I I've satisfied all my Ivy Park interests. Only because you did not want the high traffic items. Okay. Well, let's just pause for a second. Um, first of all, I have to say that I'm really surprised at you that you didn't troll me when I came over here by putting on your Ivy Park like to greet me in because as we record this, mine is still in the mail. And you have, like, items in hand. I do. So I'm really, I, again, I Like look a head-to-toe outfit, including footwear. Yeah, I look askance at you that you didn't put that on in advance of my arrival, just so you could, like, troll me. Um, you're losing your touch a little bit, no, is what I'm I saying. No, I have a plan, so Okay, there. very good. <laughs> but let's back it up a sec. Um, yes, we put Ivy Park on our calendars. We were far from the only ones, right? There was a point, whether it's fabricated or not, where Ivy Park was trending worldwide. Yes? It was. I saw. Okay. Yeah. It was trending worldwide within minutes. It People were already stirring the day before because um, they sent out, you know, to those of us who subscribe, they sent an email saying you could get on the pre-launch list, which gave you half an hour to shop before the online drop for the regulars happened. <laughs> so that's when I was like, yes, this is for me. I, I'm, I'm ready. I have signed up. I get emails from her and I signed up for the pre-launch and I was like, I have a half hour window. The problem was that what happened is in that half hour window, it goes by so fucking fast and, of course, I was trying to do this with Sasha and with Kathleen. So we were on the fucking phone together. And I was like, what do you want? Hurry up. What size? And, of course, like, you know, online shopping, you can't just click buy, buy, buy. You want to look at the size guide. Yes, of course. And <laughs> by the time you looked at the size guide and then you filled in the goddamn form, other people had taken your items. Anyway, one of the things that was interesting to read about as this was happening was People uh, saying like, haha, Beyonce fans are learning what it is to be a true sneakerhead, right? Yeah. This is not exactly our world, but it is a subset. There are, of course, there are, of course, those super rare sneaker drops that people line up for that they like scour eBay for to find these items. Um, and they're huge retail big business. Like they're half of what eBay was founded on. Yeah. Right? Yep. Fine. So that's part of the reason it's a big deal. But the other part is that it draws in people who wouldn't otherwise be Adidas customers. That's like right. this is super far reaching. Yeah. So that's interesting on the one hand. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to, I'm totally ambushing you here, but uh, can you speak to the whole concept of Yeezys of Kanye West and what that did for that brand in general? Look, 
I will say that I have never aspired to own Yeezys. Like, they're just not my aesthetic. Right. But in terms of a financial work perspective, yeah. they were a huge, huge game changer. They're huge. Right. Like, it's millions upon millions upon millions to almost a billion. Like, it is massive. A billion dollars. Like, it's a lot. Yes. And to your point… The sneaker subculture, if we can even call it a subculture, because it's it's a it's a thing. Oh, I think it's definitely it's a, a massive industry. I was looking into a pair of sneakers because, of course, here's where everything crosses over. Um, there's a Chinese celebrity who has managed to have a partnership deal, design deal with Air Jordan, which uh-huh. is huge. And I was looking into, and the, uh, one pair of these sneakers looks so good. And they're $800 and impossible to find. Sorry, is it $800 retail or is that the re-up value? Retail. Wow. And that's the lower end. There is a pair that's $1,250. It's silk screened and whatnot. Anyway, so I was just looking into this on the weekend because I was obviously like into this celebrity. And then I tried to find them because they looked really good expecting, oh, they're probably like Sneaker price, whatever, 200 bucks or right. and I looked and for again, impossible to find, totally sold out. And the retail price was eight hundred dollars. So there are people out there and not just millionaires who love sneakers so much. They'll do anything to own the late, especially when it's like Air Jordan, right? Of course. So yeah, Yeezys are big, 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 big. Um, and now Beyonce is getting into the sneaker game. Right. And uh, yeah, and brought people into that world who, again, who wouldn't have been there. You love to call me contrary. Um, and I am happy to take on that mantle in the in the interest of not being uh, modest, right? Just don't get our podcast bombed. Like, uh, I, uh, by, can we uh, just protect our... No, no, no. I'm not doing that. But no, but what I was going to say is I don't love being uh, a sheep in any situation. I don't love being part of any massive crowd who does things. I am… You can always be counted on to present the counter. Well, or to sit back or whatever. Yes. But uh, I mean, I knew I was going to look, obviously, at Ivy Park. But but let's be fair. Like, athleisure is not always my number one aesthetic, right? I knew I was going to look, I knew I was going to check it out, but it was so directly in my like colorway. Yeah. Right. Like that, everything that was on offer and everything that I bought is so directly in my wheelhouse that I had no, I had no choice. Yes. True. True. And it surprised me how, because normally you're not that organized about these kinds of things. And I was surprised that you um, knew of the date range. Um, well, I put it in my calendar, (laughs) as I said, months ago, I think I even sent you a calendar invite. And then when you found out that I had access to the pre-launch and I was getting in, you even tried to scam it. You were like, give me your code. Yeah. Oh, for sure I did. For sure I did. Um, but to that end, part of the reason, part of the reason I thought I would be interested, but, and part of the reason I ultimately was not just the colors, was that it uh, the the line extends the idea of what I would have thought of as like yes. athletic wear, right, yes. or athletic streetwear? Yeah, 
Um, and it makes you see it in a different way, which is part of the goals of fashion. I'm thrilled about my purchases. I can't wait to see them. I liked the look of a lot more stuff than I bought. Um, so great, right? So Adidas gets another customer um, times however many more of me there are out there. Yeah. In addition to the deeply faithful who are going to buy anything that Beyonce produces. Yes. And yet there are a lot of questions about was this a success? Was this, we've talked a lot about Beyonce's work, maybe yeah. more than any other person mm -hmm. in the sort of echelons of this podcast, right? Yeah. That's not the word. Pantheon? I don't know. Do you feel like this was up to her standard? So by her standard, that's that's the key question, right? You didn't ask up to the standard. No. Because the standard is accounting. It sold out in something like six minutes. It sure did. Yeah. So by other measures of success and according, like if, if you're going to look at those headlines, fucking right, it, you know, it did what the shareholders wanted. How about that? That said, well, was it military precision the way we are used to from the queen? Fuck no. So first of all, yeah, the website was delayed for a long while, even in the pre-sale, even in the you're in, you were then waiting in a holding tank kind yeah. of thing um, for an undetermined period of time, right? I I will say that you cited an example that I loved and it was, I by now there is a standard of holding tank uh -huh. for ticket purchases merchandise purchases, all that. Mm -hmm. So that is established, that people are used to that. What is the difference is not too long ago, you and I were in a holding tank for Hamilton tickets when they went on sale in Toronto. That's right. And it was clearly communicated ahead of time. How it would work. How it would work. It said, okay, here's what you do. The On the day at 8 a.m., you go to this website and it will redirect you to another website where you will be in that holding tank and you will be assigned a number. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to sit there and and wait for your number to get called, essentially. Yes. And I think it even said uh, it won't do any good to log in early, like it opens when it opens. That's right. And once we were in that holding tank, because yeah. we were like on text, obviously, yeah. uh, it was very clearly communicated, yeah. you have 19 minutes to wait. You have 21 minutes to wait. Okay, three hours. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, eventually. I mean, right. it was, but it yeah. got down to the precision of yes. 19 minutes. That's right. 24 minutes. And it gave you the, your spot in the queue. So at the beginning, like I think you were 21,000, I was 20,000. Something like that, yeah. So we were, we knew where we were and it gives you, look, information is great, right? Then you were like, okay, I can see the I can see the ticker going down. I can see that I went from twenty thousand one hundred twenty three to twenty thousand fifty six. In Great. addition to which, oh, I have ninety minutes to wait. Yeah. Okay, I know what I can do in that time while keeping this window open on my computer. That's right. So, even though yeah, there was a holding tank for Ivy Park, nobody knew that they were in a holding tank or that this this had to happen or that you had to make your purchases so quickly or you'd get booted out. The system got overloaded. 
That's what happened to me where I tried to pay with multiple cards multiple times. Right. And by the time I got into, I entered in all the cards and I was like, click on, like I hit purchase on the phone. It was like, fuck you, something went wrong. So uh, I think that for for it to go the way we would expect Beyonce things to go, a better information strategy would have been appreciated. Right, because it's not like there was no information. What was out there constantly the week before was all those big orange boxes being delivered to celebrities, right? That's right. And it's coming, and here's all the people who are super excited about their Beyonce drops and that kind of thing. Um, I also resented that you had to do all that looking at the sizing and whatever beforehand, I mean, in that moment. Like, they could have easily released the items with the pictures of the angles and what they were going to look like beforehand. They could have released the sizing charts beforehand so that people weren't scrambling. Agreed. Um. I wonder, though, if the counter-counter argument to this would be, um, and because this is where we live now, this is the the world we live in and, and how we all think, we're all into like double, triple layers of conspiracy, whether or not this was done on purpose to make people scramble and panic and get, like, create a moment where it was going viral and trending on Twitter because people were having meltdowns that they couldn't get their Beyonce. And that adds to the cachet of wanting Beyonce. I mean, I definitely think a scarcity model in general, yes, 100%. But that was going to happen anyway. I mean, I feel as though uh, I don't know who took what marketing numbers where, but I feel like it's a pretty easy bet that it's going to sell out one way or another. They knew people were going to, one of the things that the holding tank said is, we're scanning for bots uh, to make sure that there are no bots here. But we know that there still were bots. We know that people bought up a lot of stuff to sell on eBay. It's there now. If you go look for it, obviously, we knew that things were going to sell out in minutes, right? Yeah. I'm reminded of some of the really popular H&M collaborations back in the day, those that were only available mostly in-store those used to sell up in a matter of like a half hour, right? And that's with all the human error of picking things up and taking them to the cash and whatnot. So I guess what I'm saying is they could have achieved that same Mm -hmm. virality, like viral nature, without it being so messy. Now, how much of it is part of, you know, understanding that you and I aren't exactly experts at sneaker culture, how much of that is just going by how the culture works. Because when we were talking about those Hamilton tickets, that's a certain uh, clientele, right? Yep. That's a certain, um, you're used to, most people are used to buying theater tickets and they go and they look at the theater seating chart. They understand how that works and they're used to a mode, like a process and procedure. Whereas in sneaker culture, my understanding in the brief moments I've spent with it over the last few days, being in line with kids much younger, no, not that much younger. Okay? Oh my God. Yes, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. And getting an education because they do, they are used to this. You know, this was a thing for them. The, the person I know, a, a, like an amazing 
24-year-old artist sneakerhead is used to these kinds of drops, had it down. So this was not her first rodeo, as they say, to use an old person's expression. Right. This was not her first rodeo. She had it down. She knew exactly where to go. She knew what time to go. She, all of that. So for people who are versed in that culture, that's the system that they're used to. So how much of it was pure disorganization and sloppiness or, I don't know, calculated messiness to draw, like the scarcity model, or just this is what happens when sneakers are dropped? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, And what I was thinking was that it creates a a false sense, well, a real sense of uh, adrenaline, right? I, uh, we were going back and forth, this and that, what are you going to get? What if we can only get this, that, the other? You only have five minutes to check out. I got what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I got my sizes and what I wanted and I got a real high. Right. Right? Like that's an online shopping thing in general. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that in-store can't provide, right? Like yeah. once you get into the store, if people aren't elbowing you Black Friday style, right. in theory, you can look, you can touch, you have time to consider yeah. whether, oh, do I really want this? Especially if you're going to break the bank. Yeah. And I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised at the price point, but that's yeah. a kind of a different conversation. Um, so I, I don't, I think... Uh, you know, if you say, was this done to engineer an adrenaline rush, then I think, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and is that part of sneaker culture? It probably is, like the date and time of the drop and all that. Yeah. But that's the same as her dropping an album with no notice or, yeah. uh, you know, homecoming at precisely uh, midnight Pacific time or so forth. Yeah. But those are done extremely skillfully. There's still a mess involved here. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at, though, is just to cover all the bases because, you know, the, you know, the best comparison we made or I made is when you compared it to Hamilton. And if you consider the culture there, theater is considered, you know, elevated. Um, yes, it's accessible, especially a show like Hamilton, 100% in terms of the spirit of the show. But by and large, I'm talking about the general public's understanding of what it means to go to the theater. It is um, a a different kind of culture. It's a more, um, and I don't want to use words like sophisticated because I don't want to associate a value system uh, with it, but it's, it's a it's a, you're in the theater, right? It has a certain history. How about that? A certain tradition. Uh Whereas sneaker culture is street. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Right. And so, So when you compare the two, of course, theater is by tradition going to be a little more organized, whereas street is still keeping in the spirit of underground and not not abiding by uh, and following how the traditional artistic pursuits work. And so I wonder whether or not that was in play and in consideration, and yet... My flip side to that argument is if we're going street and underground culture or at least different art forms, I think about um, I think about artists right now who are promising I'm releasing my album on this day and like it's late. Right. Uh, Drake would be an example. Uh-huh. Uh, is, uh, I have come to learn that Drake is never on time <laughs> with his releases. Right. Kanye West 
recently yeah. was like promising album drops on this date and it came and went and people were like, where is it? And then it was, he was, he said he was still tinkering with it. And, and so even within that culture, Beyonce is different from her peers where she's like, I will do the surprise drop and it'll be a surprise, but it'll be perfect. Everything we- is always precision oriented. Yes. So within, even within certain cultures that are more unconventional, counterculture, grassroots, she's still able to maintain a level of precision, um, like deliberate detail orientedness that her peers can't. So with this, I think that's where we are bumping up against, where we are like, hey, this doesn't feel like her thing because she could still keep it street, but at least have it work well. And I love what you're saying about like, oh, maybe it was trying to bring us kind of the hustle and the whisper network and the undergroundness of sneaker culture. But I bet you that there are, um, I bet you that there are sneaker like scholars who could tell us about a super secret drop of one thing or another that was nonetheless super like well executed, right? Or another example that comes to mind, and this is like, I wonder if it's just free associating, is La Esquina. Um, It is, uh, if you don't know, it's a restaurant in New York that for all intents and purposes looks like a trailer that's like a taco stand. Yeah. Uh, But you have to make your reservations at such and such a place Mm -hmm. precisely three weeks beforehand. Um, You have to call this number at this time to get your reservations. And then when you get to the taco stand, there's a person standing there, like a bouncer, a greeter, but it's not very obvious. You kind of have to know or look. And then they escort you down a set of back stairs and another set and through a kitchen. And you're like, this is so ad hoc and weird and whatever. And you wind up in an underground grotto of a restaurant, which I love if I don't think too hard about how far underground I am. Um, And it's amazing food and an amazing atmosphere, right? Like it can be kind of secret and kind of underground and kind of whisper network and still done super well. And I mentioned free associating because Beyonce and Jay-Z have been known to go there. (laughs) Right. So I guess the thing is, if mess is the point, then why? Like, for what? To what benefit? Right. Because that's not what she has done historically. No. And so I guess the next question is, did she know it would work out like this? I don't know. And when you were talking about sort of the underground and hustle of it, I started thinking about what kind of a a web designer you would have to hire who could engineer that kind of mess. I know they exist, but uh, those people in those careers are often uh, very attracted to things going well and skillfully. Uh, people often talk about elegant code. Uh, so to ask somebody to deliberately make a mess, I think would be a challenge to find the person who could do that in the way you want. So I'm a little skeptical on that front. And then... So the rollout wasn't yeah, great. Yeah. And then where the products themselves... Um, so I haven't put any on yeah. yet, but you have, mm-hmm. and I assume you're happy with the quality. So I got, um, a hoodie, uh-huh. cargo pants, yep. um, uh, a versatile jacket, yep. a sports bra, uh-huh. 
uh, a pair of sneakers. Yeah. And um, workout leggings. Uh-huh. All of them are excellent. Okay. If if I had to – of all of those items, if I had to pick the one item I didn't love on me, mm-hmm. and that may have been I chose the wrong size, mm-hmm. it would be the sports bra. Okay. Interesting. But the material is substantial. Mm-hmm. It's not – like it doesn't look like it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. The cargo pants are amazing. They're thick and – I'll show them to you in a second. Because um, they're thick uh, and they're they're really like, you don't look, it doesn't look like you wash them once and that's it. Right. This jacket is amazing. It's gorgeously constructed. Uh-huh. So, and the sneakers are so good. So the quality is there. And all of those things are things that you bought in person. Um, I ordered a couple things online, yeah, but, but then I bought have, like the same things in the store. Yeah, but ha- the things you ordered online haven't come yet. Is no. that true? Because yeah. my things are supposed to show up tomorrow. Yeah. Tuesday, if you're listening. So yesterday. Which you've been obsessively tracking. Obviously. <laughs> um, but I'm going somewhere when I say that you got them in store because there's another mess associated with this product. Drop. That's right. So the… Uh, accusation um, or truth of uh, the criticism leveled at Beyonce is that the sizing was not inclusive. Yes. That the size range goes from extra small to extra large, uh, as opposed to other lines, including, I believe, uh, Fenty, which go up to a 3X. Yeah. And it really confounded everybody online. And I have to admit, I was right there with them because inclusivity and showing different bodies and how they can work and be uh, fashionable and stylish and Mm -hmm. rock all kinds of looks has been like a real recent hallmark of Beyonce's. Yes. Uh, I would say even up to uh, the videos for the clothes themselves, right? Like yes. when when you look at how they're supposed to look, Beyonce is modeling them on her body today, which is different than her body 10 years ago. Yeah. And so it was a real surprise to people that the sizing was not that inclusive. Especially since in um, in publicity, promotional materials ahead of the launch, she was quoted as saying, Quote, I focused on designing a unisex collection of footwear and apparel because I saw so many men in Ivy Park. The way they've embraced the brand is an unexpected gift. I appreciate the beauty of gender-neutral clothing and breaking the so-called fashion rules. And then Adidas added, the company added, quote, this unique relationship champions the values of inclusivity, community, and diversity and will take consumers on an unconventional journey starting with this capsule collection for spring 20. So... That is said, it's set up an expectation. Mm-hmm. And then as you said, uh, the line is only available um, in uh, like only up to XL. Um, and the criticism has come. Here's a tweet from Yvette Dion. Uh-huh. And Yvette writes, I love Beyonce. I'm a noted member of the Beehive. It is also incredibly disappointing that a woman who's made inclusion a part of her brand, willfully excluded plus-size people from her athleisure line, and this isn't the first time. 
Yvette goes on to say, it's an odd oversight considering that Beyonce's stage shows have almost always included fat people. Beachella featured dancers in an array of sizes. The Mamas have long been B's backup singers, though I'm unsure if they still are. It is odd and disappointing. So fans of Beyonce who have followed her career, who've seen the shows, we've seen the shows. We, it's true. In her shows, there are size ranges. Yeah, and in fact, I remember it being one of my most notable things about Homecoming that all of the incredible costumes that are used in that show uh, are completely size inclusive, that it's, she made it possible, I think I said this in our podcast uh, at that time, she made it possible for those styles to be represented on all kinds of bodies without it looking like it was any kind of hardship or something like no, that. No. They 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 looked like they were born to wear those things and the things that they wore allowed them to perform at the top of their level. And look stunning at the same time. That's right. Which you would assume would be the goal for Ivy Park. And remember, she as we learned in Homecoming, she worked with Olivier Thieskins. Um Right, right, right. Yeah. So this is a fashion, a, like a big name fashion designer who um, who designs for Balmain. And it, it, so it, clearly it's not a limitation of whatever luxury or this and that. Like Balmain, Olivier was able to make it work. Right. And, um, you know, obviously, as I said, she could have predicted, again, if we're taking false modesty or humility out of this, she could have predicted that uh, she's going to sell out this line is going to do incredibly well that uh, sizing, uh, uh, allowing for uh, customers of all sizes to to buy is not going to result in, you know, a loss leader or anything like that. I think I used that word wrong, a loss anyway, mm-hmm. on, the, on the tally sheet, right? No. But then the plot thickens. Yeah. Because… Uh, you talked about how you want to read the sizing chart, right? Mm-hmm. And the sizing charts were confounding. They weren't a typical size chart no. for, uh, you know, women's straight sizing or whatever uh, for two reasons. Because the line was unisex, everything was kind of uh, – the sizing – I bought different sizes than I would have ordinarily yeah. because – they were sized down, if you will, yep. um, to allow for uh, the fact that both men and women were going to be wearing these items, right? Yeah. And also, I don't know if you ran into this, but at one point I was reading a sizing chart and making decisions based on it and then went, oh no, that's UK sizing, yeah, uh, which was up at the top for some reason. Yeah. So UK sizing is different again. And Adiza… And- and in my experience, Adidas sizes big anyway in the sense – or, for example, I'm talking about shoes. Uh-huh. I'm regularly a size 8. Which like is, a women's U.S. Yes, size 8. Yeah. Which is a very, like, a, a very average size of shoe. Uh-huh. And not just Ivy Park Adidas, but regular Adidas, I size down to 7.5. Right. So Adidas itself, I think, is – is a, a slightly bigger, like, whatever measurement they use. Right. So there are people also online who have said, oh, no, I would ordinarily wear, uh, you know, a 22, for example. Yeah. And uh, the the XL 
fits me fine. And so, in fact, this is more size inclusive mm-hmm. than it might originally have been. I think an XL in uh, straight sizes is considered to be like a woman's 12 to 14. Right. Um, so that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, it's a swing. Like, it's a it's a, a slight swing. You mean between an XL straight yeah. size and what Beyonce's XL was or yeah. Ivy Park's XL. That's yeah. right. Um, it's still – but it's – at best, it is needlessly complicated. Mm-hmm. At worst, it's exclusionary. Yeah. So how come? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can't begin to know her mind. <laughs> we don't. Um, I can actually bring in some personal experience here. Uh-huh. A few years ago, Sasha and I um, released a, a line of pajamas. Mm-hmm. We loved the designs. Mm-hmm. They were so cute. They were really cute. And we – and I've written about this on the site, um, but, you know, it's worth repeating as many times as we can. Um, we only offered up to size large. Right. And um, we got instant feedback from people who said, you know, these are so cute, but – this is I can't wear this because I'm not a large, and I had to really sit and reflect and see my own uh, blind spots and bias. I didn't see beyond what I wear, and right? Where I size, and that's kind of like that's kind of shitty of me. Not shit, kind, not even kind of. That's a shitty thing. It's a shitty thing to have to like remember and. And realize that that's I, – I, you know, to be honest, um, and I sound uncomfortable because I am uncomfortable because, again, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed about myself and I'm embarrassed for us, but we didn't even talk about it. I'm – yeah. I Look, I really appreciate you being honest and saying, look, this is a thing that happened and I wish it hadn't and so forth. And I'm not trying to, like, let you off the hook. I'm like, yeah, that sucks, but – I also think that people make mistakes. It was the first time that you released a clothing line, right? Yeah. And it's not a mistake you're going to make again, no. obviously, because um, it really has stayed with you. But I would also argue that when you sort of sat back and said, God, how did this happen? Why did we do this? Then it makes the times when you see that represented all the more memorable, mm-hmm. right? Now you're aware every time you see a line like a Fenty or like Beyonce's dancers in Homecoming that are size inclusive, you're like, oh yeah, look at that. That's how that's done, right? Maybe it rubs a little sore spot in you, but you're aware of it. Of course. But again, you're not Beyonce. (laughs) Uh, Like, no. This is somebody who has dealt with this in a real overt manner Mm -hmm. before, and has said, you know, as a little while ago, I read something about her changed body post-twins, about how she's sort of fond of her bigger curves. And certainly, certainly the visuals of the Ivy Park marketing oh. reveal Beyonce as juicier than she's been in a long, long time. True? Yeah. Well, I, and in comparison, like if you're going to go back to Destiny's Child. Oh, God. Yeah. For sure. I mean, back then she was a girl. Yeah, for sure. It's it's incomparable. But yeah. even relative to her body in Homecoming, there was a, a line that you really liked. I remember when she was training and getting into shape for that show, she said, I will never 
never push myself like this again. Yeah. And she meant physically. Yeah. And it's really appealing to see her embracing yeah. a bigger body type. Yeah. So. And of course, like, let's stress that for Beyonce bigger is not like, listen, she's still in comparison. Like, we just, we're not trying to get ourselves in shit here. I but, no, no, no. But no, Beyonce still operates in a world of fundamental straight sizing, which yes. by the way is the technical term. I'm not just being an asshole every mm-hmm. time I say that. Um, and also, frankly, Beyonce operates outside the world of traditional sizing anyway. Yeah. Any designer in the world can custom make her anything she That's wants. Right. So it's not a factor. No. But I do wonder what happened. Either, you know, there have been some whispers that maybe the next drop with uh, Beyonce times Adidas as opposed to Ivy Park times Adidas is going to be more inclusive, but why exclude to begin with? Or maybe uh, people are wrong about the sizing of Ivy Park and it does in fact size up more than people thought, but then why not make that clear? Yeah. Did the idea of being unisex get in the way of being uh, uh, size inclusive? Yeah. Like, is that a manufact a legitimate manufacturing challenge? I, maybe, or was it like or a labeling well, challenge? Yeah, or well, yeah. I wonder. Would you have had to have ten different labels in it to say uh, it's a this size for women and this yeah. size for men? And and I don't even know if one X, two X, three X, and so forth in women's sizes are the same in men's sizes. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but it does seem uncharacteristic of what we've come to talk about with her and and with making her the patron saint of this podcast, as we often joke about. Yeah. And to your point, I wonder what, if any tweaks will happen for the next drop, because there are a lot of looks in the lookbook that I didn't see online or in store. I'm thinking specifically about the skirt. Uh, you mean the long one? The long one. Right. Otherwise known as the parachute. The parachute skirt and the parachute jacket. Mm. Mm-hmm. Also not there. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the like hoodie cargo pant combination was only offered in white. Yes. That's why I didn't buy it. Right. I don't buy white. That's right. So I got it in white. You wanted it in maroon. Right. That wasn't available online. I didn't see it in the store. Nope. So – there is going to be a follow-up drop mm-hmm. for sure because she's modeled several things that we haven't seen. Yes. Um, and so I wonder how that's going to be executed both in the rollout, in the efficiency of the purchasing process, and in the availability and inclusivity of it. Here's my question. If the next drop is more inclusive, is that an apology? Does it bring back those fans who felt excluded, um, are they gone at all? I mean, I, I suspect, and I please write to us and let us know, but I suspect there are people who would say, I don't have the luxury of not being a fan anymore just because I'm excluded because, uh, so often people of size are excluded. Yeah. I guess what you're saying is, is there a world in which you um, you didn't buy the white because you're waiting for the drop in maroon. But if that drop happens and it only is in a size that is not a, like not doesn't work for you because 
if the first drop was for a certain size and the next drop is, hey, skinny people, you're not invited to this party. Yeah. Is is that going to be okay? Oh, of course. And I would love that. I think that that would be great. I, yeah, I would love it too. And of course that's fine. And as it should be, like God knows that, yes, the world is made for straight-sized people. Um, I'm, I sure as hell, I'm not going to get my ass in a twist about that. And I don't think anybody else would or should either, but shouldn't that be communicated up front? Yeah. Like, shouldn't that be a conversation that is a, there's no reason to not have it be simultaneous. Right. And I don't know if I'll think that's too little too late. Yeah. If there's an amazing drop that is only an entirely plus size right. and it contains items that we drool over and mm-hmm. wish we could have. Um, that's nice. But is it sort of a, a, like a lame apology after the fact? I don't know. I'm trying to like find a Hamilton connection here. And is it, if that is what's going to happen yeah. and if that does happen, would it be the Hamilton equivalent of the casting call process and them being like, you know what the ca- you, you tell people you're you're more ver- well versed in this the casting call process for Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton uh a couple of years ago came under fire because once they started casting well, under for- fire from well, yeah, certain it, it, people. Uh, there was uh, okay, people yelled as people yell now online uh because after the initial cast when they started making up new casts, uh their casting call said and pardon my paraphrase uh, you know, we're not open to white actors. All these roles are for people of color. And some noisy assholes complained that that was racism or discriminatory or whatever. And it's like, yeah, everybody in the world wants to be in the greatest show on earth. Yeah. But some things are not for you. Right. The difference being, and God, I love you for trying to like translate it to a Hamilton reference for me. But Hamilton was quite upfront about it from the outset. Uh-huh. Right? They released that casting call and say, hey, here's all the people it is for and the people it isn't. Yeah. But there's something disingenuous about releasing something and being like, mm, maybe, maybe you can get some, maybe you can't. If you can't, mm, maybe there will be more later. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't ring correct. Uh relative to what we know about Beyonce and Parkwood Industries and whatever. Yeah. And before we leave like sort of that question, I do want to please ask anybody who feels like they could shed light on how this feels. Uh, We would love to read a note that we will keep as anonymous or not as possible. Um, Just to know like, yeah, is this something that has changed your feelings about uh, Beyonce or Beyonce products? On that note, when we end this, I'll go upstairs and get my hoodie for you and you can take a look at the materials. <laughs> I look forward to it um, and to embracing greater uh, uh, athleisure in 2020. <laughs> that's that's my journey, as they say. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your feedback. Um, please continue sending us your notes Uh, Sign up, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. And keep telling us your work stories and the stories that matter to you. We love hearing them. We're loving all of you being on the journey with us in awards season. Till next time, tell your work. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.